We're back with another edition of a MotoGP podcast from the-race.com and we're covering another quirk in what used to be a regular thing of watching a MotoGP race pretty well knowing who was going to be the winner. That was until this year because six races in, five different winners now we have got as Franco Morbidelli has taken his first MotoGP victory after the first of the two Misano races as MotoGP 2020 just gets better and better. Unless you're his teammate, Fabio Quattararo, who has just lost the World Championship lead for the first time this year after a dismal race where he eventually crashed twice. And that now means Andrea De Vizioso with Ducati now lead the championship. 35 points cover the top 10 a couple of races ago. Now 28 points cover those same 10 with De Vizioso six points ahead of Quattararo, 12 points ahead of Jack Miller. Simon Patterson was trackside at Misano. Well, Simon, it just gets better and better and it looks like it's going to continue. I, I've i I've lost track of the amount of times over the past 12 hours someone has asked me, who's going to win the championship this year? And I've had to say, not a clue. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've never seen a year like it. I um, If you have a look on, on the race website, I, I did a post on Sunday night after the race looking at numbers around the championship. And it, it's only whenever I started looking at stats that you I really realised just how insane this year is. It's like last year, the gap from 1st to 10th from Mark Marquez back to Paul Espargaro was 77 points. After the same number of races this year, Andrea De Vizioso was leading the championship with 76 points. Oh my goodness me. <laughs> that's an even better one than I just said. You know, that's, that's how close it is this year. That's how insane it is. It is the championship that no one wants to win right now. Well, it's just flattening the curve, isn't it? It's just squashing everybody yeah. down because there's no runaway. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Every time anyone seems to have a little bit of run of form, they get rudely smacked back into place and reminded of who's the boss. And uh, yeah, here we are. The boss at Misano, though, was Franco Morbidelli. He started from the front row, led at the first corner, and he never saw anybody else until after the checkered flag. His debut MotoGP victory... What a fairy tale. I mean, you know, Oliveira was a fairy tale. Binder's a fairy tale. Quattararo in a different kind of way. But this one is particularly apt. Uh, lives locally. Uh, Italian winning at Misano, VR46 Academy rider, very much in the, the epicenter of that VR46 Academy as well. They couldn't have wished for a better result and maybe actually in time, Valentino will say, do you know what? I'm happy that he won rather than me. I think Valentino will be happy that it was Franco that won yesterday. Uh, it, it really is the fairy tale, you know. Franco is the VR46 Academy. He was the instigator for all of it. He was the first one to win the World Championship in, in Moto2. And now he's the first one to win the GP race. It is so well-deserved. And uh, yeah, I am very sure that Sunday night in Tavilla, social distancing rules or not, was probably quite messy. Uh, he uh, he kind of came from nowhere. He was the he was a Superstock six hundred rider back in the day, 
Um, and there's been a lot of chat recently about Superstock 600 and please can we bring it back because it was the series that discovered all these amazing talents that uh, didn't come the Moto2, Moto3 route. He got picked up by Valentino because they were kind of, their dads were mates. Uh, Valentino helped him find a wild card at Misano, which he did quite well in. Valentino then pushed him into Moto2 in a full season. Uh, Franco moved to Tavulia to be closer to Valentino to, to sort of start training with him. This was all around the time that Marco Simoncelli was killed. Valentino lost his best friend and his training partner. And then suddenly there was this friendly, affable, intelligent kid who was a little bit you know, a little bit of a wild side and liked to party and cool music that just came along at the right time and, and, and very much became the new Marco. Um, I I was at VR46 at the end of 2018 and, and spent a fair bit of time talking to Albi Tribaldi, who's the boss, and he is completely of the opinion that that what Valley found in, in Franco was a replacement for Marco. And then because he started helping him and because Valentino decided this is actually quite good fun, this helping out young riders and developing a bit of Italian talent. He decided to make it a bit more formal. And that's where the VR46 Academy all grew out of, out of this, this friendship between him and Franco. And, uh, you know, without a doubt, Sunday was the, the pinnacle, the peak of the VR46 Academy and what they've done. They won their first MotoGP race. They very nearly had, oh, they had two riders in the MotoGP podium. Out of the six available podiums at Mizano, they took four of them because they dominated Moto2 as well, you know? So, yeah, proper, proper fairy tale story. And with Valentino's half-brother taking the victory in Moto2, you know, I just, <laughs> just, you know, that's it, stop, you know, brilliant. You say it's the pinnacle, you're absolutely right, but it's the pinnacle so far because I think there's not a man or or woman the world over who doesn't want to see a VR46 MotoGP team in some shape or form, whatever bike it may have in the garage. Probably a Yamaha. I think that's the best bet at the moment. Can't see it being anything else, let's be blunt here. but I can see it being a Suzuki. Uh, well, I know what it won't be. So it could be a Suzuki, it could be a KTM, yeah, and it could be yeah. a Aprilia, but it won't but, be the other two. You know, the, yeah, no. yeah. But the, the the links between Rossi and Davide Brivio are still very, very strong. Oh, absolutely. Brivio being his former manager. Yeah. Um, if it's not going to be a Yamaha, it'll be a Suzuki. I'd put money on that. Okay, interesting take. But yeah, that that whole VR46 team with Valentino as the as the team manager, I don't think he'd even want to be the team principal, even though he would be seen as the leader. But that would be fantastic. Uh, yeah, the, the, there's the, from little acorns, the tree is still a sapling, but it's still to be a big oak tree yet. That whole academy, the, it's fantastic. There are four Yamahas on the grid, three of which are in Works 2020 specification. But just as we saw with Assen last year, the bike that won the race was last year's Yamaha. The twists and turns get even tighter in 2020. Morbidelli had the trick all Sunday. I think what we saw on Sunday was the old adage that the bike's not not as important as the rider. Um Franco knows Mizano very, very well because VR46, you know, ride there once a month at least. And he understands where all the bumps are and he understands how the new surface feels. He understands how conditions can change their day to day. 
he came into the weekend really fired up, really ready for winning with a point to prove because of what had happened the last two weekends and the disaster in Austria and, you know, almost getting killed with bikes firing around 200 miles an hour, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I think it just all the elements for him lined up at a track where the Yamaha isn't, you know, isn't as bad as it is at other tracks. And that's essentially what we got. We saw all the Yamahas being fast. Um, obviously, Valentino fought for the podium until the very, very last lap. Uh, Fabio Quartararo fully believes that he had a podium in him or maybe even a race win in him until he made a mistake. And we're we're kind of back to that old situation where really the only Yamaha that is actually having problems is Maverick Vinales because he's seemingly reverted back to his 2018-2017 self where he just can't figure things out. On a Sunday? On a Sunday. Yeah, you know, you smash a lap record and you take pole position on the Saturday, but 24 hours later, it all goes a little bit south. Uh, it just peaks too early. You know, some people, they always peaked on a Monday after the race and their lap times were stellar. They needed a four-day Grand Prix. Vinales needs a two-day Grand Prix, not a three. So... But unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. Uh, interesting discussion, by the way, I saw during the week, somebody said, why don't they save a little bit of time and energy and whatever for these back-to-back -back races, miss the Friday of the second race? I thought that wasn't a bad idea because everyone knows which way the circuit goes. Everyone's got the data. A lot of people have been testing there and they were only there the weekend before. But people beyond our pay grade will be down to look into that well uh you and zarko proved in uh, the second austrian race that you don't really need a friday there you go there you go <clears throat> so that maybe touches why yamaha were back on form uh, is you know yes there was a li a lot of in my view the rider made the difference they do know their way around there in the dark so that'll be uh That'll be something that I can touch on with Neil Spaulding. Valentino Rossi, uh, so close to that 200th podium uh, on the final lap. It just slipped away uh, with, uh, with Juan Mir coming past him. He was only just 0.4 of a second off the podium at the end of the day. He's sixth in the World Championship. He's only... 18 points behind the championship leader, Andrea De Vizioso. He hasn't had a victory this year. He hasn't had a victory since June 2017 at Assen. But let's park that because he's got to be a, a Grand Prix winner this year. He, he just will. He just will, in my view, at least. But on a Yamaha day... Was it a little bit of a bad result for him to be just fourth or is it just a quirk or were the tyres the wrong tyre and they just went off at the end of the race, which we saw because he got caught so quickly and he couldn't hold the lines towards the end of the race? What's your what's your take on Valentino? I, I think it's just a bit of a quirk of the way the race played out. Um, the conditions did throw a bit of a curveball to a few people because the wind picked up a little bit on Sunday compared to the previous days. The track was a little bit cooler. Some of the guys were saying, mm, just feels a bit greasy, a bit not quite the same as it did. And uh, I think maybe that just kind of altered some people's setups a little bit and maybe just took a little bit off what Valley thought he had at the end of the race. And it, it just kind of 
yeah, Mir, Mir is really, really good at the end of the race. We know that that's where the Suzuki's are strong. Mir is also a really good breaker, which means he's the worst possible person you'd want behind him at the end of the race, you know? There are plenty of other riders who, if they'd been in the same position of catching Valentino, would have got to him and not been able to get past him. Mm. It's just that it, it kind of played into Mir's strengths more than it, you know more than it played in anyone else's. And yeah, I think it's a quirk. There there has to be a Valentino win coming this year. The way this year's panned out, the way that, you know, people are winning races one week and being nowhere the next and et cetera, et cetera. I'm, I'm fairly certain it's coming. Another lap, Joan Mir could easily have got Francesco Bagnaia, who finished second his first podium in MotoGP. He was denied it earlier in the year. He was so close, but uh, he managed to do it in uh, in Mizano, yeah, Banyaya, another one, making it a possibility of a, of a new winner in 2020. And of course, in Mizano, one, three different manufacturers on the podium. So it wasn't a whitewash at the end of the day for Yamaha. They were first and fourth with that Ducati and the Suzuki second and third. Uh, Banyaya, he's, 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 he's got his foot in the door. He's got his leg. He's got his hips through the door of a works Ducati deal. <laughs> In the long run. <laughs> I I think he probably, uh, it isn't announced yet, but I think he probably sorted himself a factory Ducati deal for 2021 with that result. Uh, we know it's between him and Johan Zarco. We, we know that that's all but certain. Um, finally, being back inside the circuit at the weekend, we had the chance to talk to some of the Ducati management guys and they're, they're not hiding anything. They've signed three riders on Ducati contracts for next year in the form of uh, Bastianini, Zarco and Bagnaia, but they just haven't decided who's going where yet. So, yeah, that's, that's I think, enough to just tip the balance in the favour of Bagnaia over Zarco, which I should say Zarco is in no way upset about. He knows he's going to Primark. He knows he's going to be in 2021 spec machinery inside the satellite team. He's happy to just get on with it and see what it'll be. Also, Ducati quite like one-year deals or one-plus-one deals. So uh, what happens for 2021 might not be the case for 2022. And there's less pressure when you're at Pramac as well. I think Zarco, he's done the, the works team thing. And yes, it was a story that we all know had an unhappy ending at KTM, but Zarco would be wise to do that. Uh, let us not forget that Jack Miller is in uh, full works Ducati red next year. Uh, De Vizioso leading the championship. I mentioned this a couple of podcasts ago. Are we going to have a world champion who they don't want in 2020 in the shape of Andrea De Vizioso? Because it might look that way, because he's the wise owl at the top at the moment. There is every possibility of that. Um, yesterday, uh, someone said yesterday after the race, and I thought it was a good point. Yesterday was a day where experience beat speed. That's exactly what he did yesterday. He used his experience. He stayed cool. Quattararo completely admitted after the race that he made a mistake because he doesn't have the experience to deal with the circumstances that he was presented yesterday, which was being stuck behind a hard-to-pass bike because it was the same bike as his. He overcooked the front tyre. The pressure went up and he took the front. Completely his own mistake. And he says, I will learn from it. The question is whether with uh, with one bad result this year already under the bag for him, whether he's being allowed time to learn or whether Dovey's steady, 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 chipping away approach is just going to start to pull out a points lead. Quattararo's point tally this year, 
9830. Davizioso, 162510525111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111925111
and I did, I did, I did, I said it a couple of podcasts ago, the best bloke they need to sign for next year is probably Davizioso. They've got to swallow their pride. They've got to stop being, this isn't working, and all the hoo-ha that they've had with negotiations with Davizioso to this point that have not gone well. Uh, say he's going to leave, th- two days later wins the Grand Prix in Austria. Um, yeah, here and now, it might be short odds, but you'd have to spread your money across the whole of that top 10 if you've got any chance of getting a win. And I think there'll all be short odds come the end of Portomayo. Um, what was going on with KTM in Mizano? They've been testing there. They know their way around. They've won two Grand Prix this year, and yet it just didn't line up. I think we kind of saw a return to normality for KTM. Not maybe not normality isn't the right word, but we've we've seen them have three stonking race results in the last three races at two circuits that really suit their bike. We've come to a track that doesn't suit their bike the same way, a track that's a little bit more inline four than V four, and it's just not quite been there the way that it has been the last few rounds. I think it's it's nothing to get too upset about. Um there are certainly circuits left this year where uh, they will find that form again. You know, we're going to go to Aragon soon for two races and they're going to be right back in podium contention. But it's just all part of the learning curve. You know, they, they were always, it was always going to be the case that they were going to win eventually. Um, everyone thought it would be a bit later than it was at a couple of circuits that they were strong at and then build up everywhere else. And I think that's really just what we saw this weekend. Also worth noting, though, that uh, a really difficult weekend for Paul Espigaro and for Brother Elish. Um, the two of them went into the weekend, as did Danilo Petrucci, actually, uh, went into the, the weekend with uh, with uh, deaths in the family. And that was both weighing quite heavily on, on all three minds. Um, we spoke to Elish yesterday after the race, and he was on a private jet on Sunday evening back to Spain, for their grandfather's funeral Monday morning and then back to Mizano on Monday evening for testing on Tuesday. It's, it's just not, you know. And I think that that probably, they, they're never going to admit it because they're racers and, and racers don't admit things like that, but that's got to be weighing in your mind all weekend. So I think losing their number one riders, a little bit of an advantage on top of everything else. Yeah, just not a great weekend. On a positive for Let's Pick Out KTM, Paul Espargro's race time this year over 2019, a full 30 seconds faster, but the race was 23 seconds faster, full stop, compared with Marquez last year winning, Morbidelli winning this year. So that that's nearly a second a lap over the 27 lap total. That's a big, big margin. So I wonder if, you know, extra grip does something to some bikes more or less than than some other bikes who who have the success. We'll uh, we'll have to see how that one goes. That's an engineer's kind of question. Just just on that uh topic of of race time. Race was 20 seconds quicker than last year. The top 15 last year was covered by a minute and 2 seconds. Top 15 on Sunday was covered by 20 seconds. It's the the third closest top 15 in history. Interesting again shows that you can have a good day sort of empirically but relatively 
you're still battling for 10th in MotoGP at the mm. minute. And last year's race, Marquez, I said, who won it, but Quattararo pushed him close. He was under a second off his tail. Yeah. Vinales was only another 0.7 of a second back of second place. Podium covered by 1.6. It was close last year. It wasn't a runaway with Marquez at the top and then all the rest battling for the crumbs. Yeah. And the only reason that uh, Fabio was that little bit behind was because he'd made a last corner. They'd done a bit, little bit of dogfighting in the last few corners. He'd made a lunge. He was a little bit off. Or it would have been even closer. Wow. Just wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it's the age-old story, isn't it? People, you could put your rose-tinted spectacles on those invisible ones that we all do have tucked away somewhere in our bag. And say, oh, the racing was better in the old days. Well, it was more spread out in the old days. You know, the romance of racing is another discussion rather than close racing. Uh, the advantage of MotoGP with close racing is that you can still pass. The disadvantage of close racing in Formula One about an hour away at Mugello is that close racing, then you can't pass because of aero <laughs> and, and all the, as you know, the story. But for MotoGP, it suits us absolutely down to the ground. Absolutely down to the ground. Uh, what are Honda, what, what are they going to do? I mean, that's a question you may not know the answer to, but what in heaven's name are they going to do? They're going to wait for Mark Marquez to come back, hope his arm is fully healed and hope that he can get back to the form he was on previously because that's all they can do until at least the end of 2021 because the engines are sealed for next season as well. And that's where all the problems of their bike comes from. The bike, you know, the, the unrideability of the bike, the, the aggressiveness to the rider, all comes from an engine, which is a sealed unit, can't be changed. Which I do know is something that they're not happy about, something that they didn't want brought in whenever it was brought in as a response to the, the whole coronavirus uh, pandemic to save a bit of money. Honda were opposed to it, but here we are. The majority wins, unfortunately. It does, uh, in most democracies, yes. So, yeah, quirky. Um, here's a question I've been mulling over, and I haven't texted you, I haven't given you heads up deliberately. <laughs> Do you think Mark will get to the end of that 2024 season still in Honda Colours? Because that's the length of his deal, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, it is indeed. Um it, is there stuff going on behind the scenes? Am I, I, I am not stirring the pot, so please, Repsol Honda PR department, do not ring me up. <laughs> I'm not stirring the pot. It's just a kind of vibe I've got. Of, of the, has there been a bit of ill feeling of late? I think that he will make it to the end of the deal. But I don't know if he'll still be writing for the same team because I don't think certain people within the team will make it to the end of his four-year deal without pointing any fingers at diminutive former Grand Prix winners who might or might not be in charge and might or might not say rather stupid things on occasion. So same colours, just different structure. I think there'll be a, a reshuffle there. I think that if if Japan has any sense and any awareness of what's going on in their race programme, they've got to know that their riders are not happy with the structure and the organisation above them and that it's easier to change riders or to change management than to find another Mark, 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 Mark Marquez. I've had uh, conversations with Livio Supo, former team principal at Repsol Honda of late, and I shall leave his responses to just he and myself, but you can imagine his view yes. on matters. Uh, 
easy, easy, of course, to make comments from afar. Let's just get that very clear. But yeah. 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 Oh, dear. Well, do, do you know what? On a, on a kind of plus side, it's given us this wonderful season, which, as I said at the opener, you don't know who's going to win. Whereas in the old days, and I'm going to call them the old days, you just sort of knew who was going to win. You know, what, what's Mark's stats? More than 50% win hit rate? Win rate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, one crash last year and the other 18 races, his worst result was second. It says it all. You know, let's, you know, hypothetically go through the Formula One results and take Mercedes out. <laughs> says it all really, doesn't it? Wow. I'm sh- I haven't done it yet, but I will afterwards and you guys can do it at home. But I, it'd, be, it'd be bonkers, wouldn't it? Exactly. That's exactly so, what we're seeing. Interesting one. Interesting one. Um, so as we line up after a couple of days off and a few people can sleep off a hangover in Tavulia this morning, Monday after this first Mizano race... Do you think that the Tavulia Mafia will do it again for Mizano too? Yeah, I do. Um, I think we have historically seen that whenever a rider, it's more of a World Superbike thing, obviously, with two races in a day. When a rider wins one, they do the double. Obviously, that didn't happen in, in Austria because of red flags, chaos, and motorbikes flying through the air at people's heads. But it did happen in in Hareth, which is the first time we've ever done back to back races, which kind of cements my theory of, uh, yeah, of rookie riders doing the double. So I'd be very surprised if we have a massively different result if things stay the same. Of course, we didn't have Fabio Quattararo as a finisher on Sunday, and that will influence the result. But um, yeah, I, I don't think we're going to see a, a massive change in how things play out. Right, we're going to see more of the same, which, you know, was still highly entertaining. <laughs> it certainly is. What a season. Six races in, we've had five different winners in the shape of Quattararo, Binder, Davizioso, Oliveira, and now Morbidelli. Four of them first-time winners as well. Look out for us with our Twitter accounts, at WeAreTheRace, at Denkmit. For Simon Patterson and myself at Toby Moody, well, that needs no second introduction, does it? Our next MotoGP podcast will be in just seven days' time after Mizano 2, round seven of the 14-race MotoGP Championship for 2020. Like and subscribe wherever you download your podcasts from. Click those buttons. Thank you for joining us. And remember one thing after Mizano in 2020 for MotoGP... Frankie says, relax. Relax.